Somewhere earlier this week, someone came by and took my voice and ran off with it. So uh, it's coming back in pieces, so I'll try to get through this, but sorry if I'm having to clear my throat a little more today. Uh, Why don't you take your Bible at this time, if you haven't already done so, and turn back to the book of Philippians with me. And uh, we will turn the corner here on what's been a a really fun section so far. And... um, Today, uh, we will pick up, uh, there's a paragraph marker there, and so we will uh, continue on today where we left off. Um, Just by way of review, let me just read for you where we've been, if you've maybe missed, or uh, sometimes it's a long week, and what did we talk about last Sunday? So let's just remind ourselves of that, and then we'll jump into the verses 12 and 13, which will occupy our time today. Uh, Look at verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2 with me, please. Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name that the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's kind of where we've been last time, how uh, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, became a man without ceasing to be God. So he was uh, 100% God, 100% man at the same time and in the same person. Uh, and he did that, he assumed that role, leaving his exalted position with the Father so that he could come and be the substitute for sinful humanity, living the life we should have lived, dying the death that we deserved, ultimately uh, standing in our place, receiving the very wrath of God, the, the eternal punishment that was due us for our sin uh, was laid on him. And so the kenosis, as we've called it, the, the process, the event of God becoming a man, Jesus becoming human without losing his godhood in any way, uh, was necessary for the atonement or uh, all the work that God did to save us from our sin, the atonement. Uh, all that was necessary for Jesus to become a man in order to accomplish those things. Uh, we read it in 2 Corinthians 5.21, a verse that maybe many of you have um, uh, memorized or known, but but it's it's the gospel in miniature. Uh, the Apostle Paul, as the Spirit was working to help him to write God-breathed letters, the very voice of God, if you will, penned in a book, uh, that verse that captures what we've been talking about so well, God made Jesus who knew no sin, he made him who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's the doctrine of what we call substitution, right? You okay with that? Substitution. Jesus takes our place. And uh, sometimes theologians call it the great exchange, right? Jesus gets my sin, and I get his what? His righteousness. And in order for substitution to happen, in order for atonement to be made, God had to come down here and take on humanity in order to be our substitute. Um, Romans chapter... um, Uh, 5 calls Jesus the second Adam. 
And, and that's one of his titles because he, in a sense, takes the place of the first Adam. He takes the place of our forefather, Adam, and, and thus representing all of humanity so that he can offer salvation to sinners. Well, that's kind of where we've been. And uh, at the end of all that, uh, it's sort of a, a doxology that every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And amen, right? We kind of just, okay, let's pray. And then we see in verse 12, if your Bible is like mine, there's a little paragraph marker, so this is a, a new subject, but not disconnected from what we just read. We see this little verse, the little, little phrase, so then. So then. Uh, what, is, what does so then indicate? There's a responsibility here. We don't just say... Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Right? Let's go to lunch. We, we don't do that. There's a response. There's a reaction. There, there's something as we set, as we stand amazed at what we just read, there's something that we ought to do. Okay? You agree with that? So then means, how then shall we live? What shall we do? Do we, do we just walk away and go back to life? Or is there something that we just read that should get in us and should have some sort of practical implication? And that's exactly where Paul's going to go. There is a practical implication. Or, or let's put it way down, okay? There is something that you and I should do in response to what we just read. Okay, what is that thing that we should do? Let's look at the text together. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, here it is, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, if, if you have a grasp of orthodox theology, if you know that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, you're probably asking yourself, at least I hope you're asking yourself, this question, okay? Here it is. Watch. Magically it's appearing on the screen. In what way... Is that too small to read? You guys in the back, is that too small? Someone told me it was too small to read this week, and I meant to make it bigger, but it looks bigger on the computer. Um, I will make it bigger next week, I promise. Okay. In what way, here's the question you should be asking, in what way is a believer supposed to, quote-unquote, work out his salvation? I mean, do you read that and go, I thought salvation was by grace alone through faith alone. So what's this work stuff doing here with salvation? Okay, That's a good question, isn't it? We should read the Bible in light of the theology that we understand from other verses. And, and one of the things that the Reformers discovered in the 16th century, the, the great Protestant Reformation, as we call it, one of the, reform, one of the things that the, the Reformers uh, sort of rediscovered was the fact that, that Scripture has to interpret Scripture. Have you heard that before? How many heard that before? Scripture has to interpret Scripture. And, and what that means is there needs to be um, 
a consistency in the Word of God. In other words, if, if God wrote the Bible, and he did, and if 66 books penned by different offers over multitudes of generations, different peoples, different cultures, all of that, but, but it has one ultimate author, then, then the subject matter, the theme, the, the message ultimately all has to fit together in some way. God's not going to say one thing over here, and then in another book he's going to say something that contradicts it, right? He's not going to do that because he's consistent. So Scripture interprets Scripture just means somehow we have to make what we read here fit with other places in Scripture that we know that says salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. For example, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, verses like that. So let's, let, can we go on a little investigation? Can we do that? Can we just kind of go on a little investigation together? And let, let's try to answer this question, because I think this is really important that, that we understand what he's saying and what he's not saying. And like we, like we understood a, a couple weeks ago, we understand that the context really ultimately helps us determine what he means by that, okay? But let, let's, just, let's just review together what we know the Bible to teach. Okay, We know, first of all, that salvation in the Bible has three main aspects to it. Do you know this? Salvation, the, the whole package of salvation, if you want to call it that, has three main aspects to it. And I want to show you those three by way of review today as we try to answer the question, how is a believer supposed to work out his salvation? Okay, Hold your place in Philippians and turn back with me to Romans chapter 3, please. We're going to spend a lot of time in Romans uh, just because I think it's the most, uh, of all the places in the Bible, Romans makes what we're trying to get at here today the most clear. Romans chapter 3. Uh, these are verses that uh, we all know and love, and uh, let's just kind of look at them together, okay? Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Now let's just stop right there. What does it mean to be justified? Do you see that there? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So so what is our only hope, Paul? That's what he's kind of getting at. What is our hope here? The hope is that we might be justified. Okay. What is justification? What, is, what does that mean? I'm sorry? Exactly. Exactly. Justification, um, if we were to... If we were to get in a time machine and go back to this day and age in the Bible, and we were to look at that Greek word, that, that original word that uh, Paul was using here, we would find that that word came from the legal profession. It comes from the, the legal, lawyers, attorneys, judges. It comes from that realm because justification is a legal term and justification is the first aspect of salvation. Let me give you a definition here. A legal declaration... When God declares the sinner not guilty, but righteous on the basis of Christ's work, which is accessed by faith alone. Okay, does that, does that make sense? Justification is where God, assuming the role of the judge of the universe, which is one of his roles, right? The, the picture of justification is the sinner is standing before God the judge. And God has heard the evidence of all of the wrongdoings, the thoughts, the words, the deeds, the falling short, Romans 3.23, the falling short of the glory of God. He's heard all that evidence. And yet one has come who is perfect, who has never sinned, who has 
always thought righteous things, always said righteous words, always done righteous deeds. This is the perfect man. This is a man who indeed has kept the whole law perfectly. And this one comes and says, I would like to stand in the place of a sinner. I would like to give my righteous life to him. And I would like to take his guilt away, his sins away. Will you judge? Allow me to stand in his place. And so on the basis of Christ's work on behalf of the sinner that that sinner is now clothed in the righteousness of Christ and his sin has been really removed because Jesus has taken away and paid for it forever. The judge pounds the gavel of heaven and declares the sinner who is trusting in Jesus, he declares him not guilty but righteous. That's justification. You say, how? How does that take place? How does that How can I have Jesus take my place? How can I do that? You know, there's a lot, of, a lot of people we, we live next door to, we rub shoulders with in Walmart, guys we watch at the soccer field or the ball field, and, um, all sorts of people here that think that just because Jesus did that, that it applies to them. Or they think because we live in Texas that it applies to us, right? This is, after all, the Bible Belt, right? Bible Belt's. You know, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? Right? We're in. It's that simple. But it's not. It doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter whether you live in the Bible Belt or not. It doesn't matter if you go to church. It doesn't matter if, if you give assent to the facts of the gospel. That does not matter. The biblical criteria for accessing the work of Christ so that you get the robe of righteousness, so that you get your sins taken away, the criteria is faith. What what the Reformers called the instrumental cause of justification. What do they mean by that? It's the instrument by which we access the finished work of Christ. He did it. As the hymn says, Jesus paid it all, right? There's no work that I add. There's um, There's nothing I bring to the equation. But I access Jesus' work by trusting in Him, by leaning on Him, by depending on Him. We, we put that all together. What do we call that? The Bible calls that faith. A trusting in, a relying in, a dependence on, a confidence in. So this aspect of salvation, what we call justification, is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But there's a second aspect of salvation. Are you with me so far? Make sense? Okay, this is all review, right? A second aspect of salvation, and that is what we call sanctification. Sanctification. But by the way, but before we move on here, justification, this last line is very important. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, justification is what we call a past fact of salvation. We are justified. We have been justified. It's a past reality. It's done Deal's over, right? Sanctification, however, is a present reality. A present reality. What, what, is, what is sanctification? Without looking at the notes, how would you explain sanctification? You're, a, a non-Christian friend comes up to you and says, well, what's sanctification? What would you tell them? The ongoing process of becoming more like Jesus Christ. Okay, the ongoing process of becoming more like Jesus Christ. Very good. The ongoing process 
of becoming more like Jesus Christ, or as I have it in the notes, the progressive work in the life of a believer where he grows day by day by putting off sin and growing in righteousness, holiness, and Christ-likeness. This is the present reality of salvation for a believer. How many of you have been a Christian long enough to understand this reality, okay? Think with me here. You've been a Christian long enough to understand this reality. I trusted Christ. And as we just read, God declares us not guilty but righteous, right? We're, we're in. Sin has been atoned for. It's gone. It's been forgiven. Righteousness has been imputed, right? We're in. We're into heaven. We're into the family of God. All that is done deal, accessed by faith alone. How many have been a Christian long enough to recognize this reality? All the sin doesn't get taken away in my life at that point. Have you been a Christian long enough to discover that? That when we trust Christ, even though all those things are true, God does not take the struggle with sin all away. Now, sometimes it's the experience of some believers that maybe certain sins, that there's a a radical transformation and, and they don't struggle with those things anymore. Sometimes that's the case. But most of the time, and we're certainly we can say for all Christians in some areas, that a struggle with sin remains. That when we trust in Jesus, all that sin is not removed in the sense of it practically getting played out of my life. How many of you have discovered that? You've been a Christian long enough to know that we still struggle? Anybody here not struggling with sin anymore? Okay, we have honest people here. That's good. All right. So what do we do about that? What do we do? Well, this is sanctification. It, it, we grow daily to be more like Jesus. And um, I think the place we see that most clearly is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. If you just go back to 2 Corinthians now. Now, Look at this here with me. 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 3. The, The thing to think about with sanctification is that it's progressive. It's a little bit day by day. It's kind of like, how many have small children in the home? Not grown children, but how many how many have children that are still physically growing? Okay, good. All right. So so Tara and Lisa and I are, are here. Okay, good. Um, and Joe is still growing, Becca. He's just he's like every seems like every week. So you, we can put your hand up too. Um, it's kind of like physical growth. Okay, when our children are born, we don't expect them the next day. We get them home from the hospital. They're not doing slam dunks on the basketball hoop the next day. They, they, they can't do that, right? We don't expect that because growth, physical growth is what? Say it with me. It's progressive, right? They get a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. Oh, now they're making sounds. Okay, great. A little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. Now they're rolling over. A little bit bigger. Now they're sitting up or they're moving around. A little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. Now that those those babbling things become a little more intelligible, and, and there's there's you can sort of you know baby code. You kind of learn the baby code thing, and and then before you know it, they're walking, and then they're really talking, and then you know they're learning things like numbers and letters, and and then before you know it, they're doing algebra, and, and okay, and they just eighteen. Whoa! Wow, I had someone this morning say that I have another one going off to college. Wow! Where'd the time go? But when you look back, it was years, wasn't it? That's sanctification. It is progressive, just like physical growth. The the experience of becoming more like Jesus is progressive. And 2 Corinthians makes it so clear. Look look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses uh, verse 18. It says, um, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, 
Okay, And in the context, he's really talking about growth in Christ here. He says they are being being transformed. Now, now let's just, can we do like third grade grammar flashback for a minute? When something is is going on, it's being transformed. Is that a done deal? No, it's an ongoing reality. It's a present everyday reality. Okay, so we are being, it's active, it's happening right now, it's ongoing, are being transformed into the same image. Now, here's the phrase that, that is so helpful. From glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. What's he saying? He's saying we don't trust Christ and look perfectly like Jesus the next day. He's saying it's progressive. We are being transformed from glory to glory. And we're not used to thinking about glory like that, but remember glory often is used to reflect the image of Christ, right? When we talk about God's glory, what we're saying is it's the radiance of his character. It's what he's like. So from glory to glory means I'm supposed to be looking more like Jesus every day. But it's progressive, it's ongoing, it's a process. That's sanctification. And if you're a Christian, that is the present reality of salvation. It's not complete. It's ongoing. Okay, so far so good. So we have the, the past fact of salvation. That's our justification. God declares us not guilty but righteous on the basis of Christ's work. We have the present reality of salvation. That's what we call sanctification, the progressive work where we become more like Jesus every day. Well, there's a third aspect. You know what it is? Someone want to guess the third aspect before I show it to you on the, on the, what is it? Glorification. And, and glorification is that instantaneous work of God. Not progressive. It is an instantaneous work of God, which he works at the moment of death in a believer, where he removes all remaining sin and makes him to perfectly reflect the character of Christ in all things. We'll see this in a few weeks in Philippians, but turn turn to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to go past the section that we're at. This is probably my favorite verse that describes glorification. And you understand, glorification is you have a person who's a Christian and they die physically. Okay? What happens at that moment? In that moment, God transforms them so that all the remaining presence of sin, whatever we want to call the remaining sin in their life, call it the flesh, call it indwelling sin. Those are all good terms for it. All of that gets removed. And God does this work to where they close their eyes in death on this earth. They open their eyes in the presence of the Lord in heaven. And as they open their eyes in their experience, they're just like Jesus. They perfectly reflect His character. They perfectly reflect His his attributes. Like, like, I've used the analogy before, like a mirror that is tarnished, a mirror that is broken, a mirror that has um, uh, uh, manufacturing um, problems in it. And so we, we, you know, the light gets all scattered the wrong way and the image is distorted. And, and at that moment, the mirror gets replaced with a perfect mirror. And as we, and that's the picture of Second Corinthians. As we look at Jesus, and now we have a perfect mirror. And we perfectly reflect his glory. 
We're in his presence and we reflect his glory perfectly. Listen to how Paul puts it in Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, right? That's it. From which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see, as he's talking about in the context, he's saying, we don't have this yet. We're eagerly awaiting it. It hasn't happened yet, right? That's glorification. It's future. We wait for our Savior to come. And what is he going to do when he arrives? When Jesus shows up, or by implication, when I die and go to be with him, whichever happens first, what is he going to do? Look at verse 21. He will transform the body. That's a great uh, word in your Bible to circle or highlight or underline or whatever you like to do there. Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. That's it. Man, I can't wait till we get there in Philippians. We'll unpack all that together. But, but just, he's gonna transform what we're like from this humble state to perfect conformity with the body of his glory. How's he gonna do that? Oh yeah. By the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Because remember, he's Lord. He's master. He runs the whole universe. And in that moment, We close our eyes in death, we open our eyes in glory, and we will find that in that moment, God has done this transforming miracle where we will perfectly look like Jesus in our experience. And you know what? That's going to be a great day. You get tired with your battle with sin. You're like, you know what? I'm going to be okay when this battle is over. I really am. I think one of the attractions of heaven for all of us should be sinlessness and the battle of sin being done. Not because we've earned it, but because God, as it says here, has done a transforming work to where we now reflect his character perfectly in our experience. Three aspects of salvation. Do you see that? Okay, Salvation, and, and sometimes we use the term salvation, what we usually mean is what? We mean this, right? Justification. But the Bible teaches that there are actually three aspects of salvation. Now, come back to our question. In what way is a believer supposed to work out his salvation? Okay, well, let's do a little test here. Okay, number one, might it be justification? Eh, no, because that's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And for a, for a Christian, justification? For a Christian, what is it? It's done, right? It's a past reality. It's done, okay? Okay, can't do that one. Let's go down here. Glorification. Is that the aspect of salvation that a Christian should work on? Should I do it? Eh, right? Okay. No, wrong. Because that is an instantaneous work of who? God, right? We have nothing to do with that. We die and he does it all, right? Which leaves us with what? Sanctification. Now, let me ask you a question. Before we say, oh, we have the answer, does that fit the context? Does sanctification fit the context? Look, look, you're in Philippians 3. Just turn the page back to Philippians 2 and look at verse 12 again with me. So then, my beloved, just as you have always, just as you've always, say it, obeyed. obeyed. What is the main way that we grow in holiness? We obey what God tells us to do as a Christian. Yeah, there it is. Okay, that fits, okay? Uh, not as much in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and tremble. Yeah, that seems to fit, doesn't it? Seems to fit. And we'll, we'll unpack it a little more next week, but um, our preliminary investigation of the context is that it seems to fit that that is it. So for now, 
we will make a conclusion, preliminary conclusion, but nonetheless a conclusion. The present reality of salvation, which a believer is called to work out, is his sanctification. The present reality of salvation that a believer is called to work out is not his justification, not his glorification, but his sanctification. Now, are you with me? Make sense? So so let, let's think about this then, okay? A, a definition, sometimes definitions are helpful. What is sanctification? I kind of gave you one in the last slide, but literally means the process of becoming holy, or holy means to be set apart. Um, it comes from a word that means to cut. You know, cut something and you put it aside. Um, and, and that took on a symbolic or spiritual significance in the sense that um, when, when God says in Leviticus, you are to be holy because I am holy, what he's saying is, you guys, Israelites, are to be set apart. You're to be different. Not part of the crowd, but different because I'm holy. Okay, well, being different, does that mean I, I you know, make a mohawk and paint my hair green? That's different, right? Is that what it's, no, it's not what it's talking about. Hear me, hear me. Scratch that on the tape, maybe. Uh, yeah, okay. We, that's not how we're supposed to be different. How is God holy? How is he different? Answer, he's sinless. So holiness is I'm set apart from sin. I'm set apart from corruption and wickedness. I, I am, I am growing in righteousness and Christ-likeness and God-like characteristics. That's what holy means. So sanctification, the process of, is the process of becoming like Jesus, like Christ, like God. So put the definition together now. It means the process of becoming holy or set apart. When used to describe the life of a Christian, it means progressively becoming holy or becoming more like Jesus every day. If I'm talking to kids, that's what I tell them. Kids, sanctification, big long word, yeah, big long word, Mr. Palmer, okay. What does it mean? Becoming more like Jesus every day. That's what it means. Okay? Now, the nature of salvation, as we've seen, is a progressive work. We've seen that, right? 2 Corinthians 3.18, we behold Jesus, and then we are transformed from glory to glory. Uh, We saw that in... um, Uh, where is it here? Yeah, in the, in the, look down at the verse you're looking at right now. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There's an ongoing process there. God is at work to bring that about. It's a progressive work. Now, this is where Christians get very frustrated. So I'm going to use my friend the whiteboard here to maybe do it a little bit. Maybe this will be helpful. Let's say... You guys know I am a former and repentant engineer, right? So I like to draw graph stuff. Okay, so let's say this is time. And let's say this is holiness or Christ-likeness. Okay? So, so let's say this right here is, is Jesus or perfection. Okay? And so here we are. And... Um, at some point, okay, we're right here, right? Here, at some point, you know, we're growing, right? We're growing. Right? At some point, we come to the point of salvation. Okay, so here we are. And at some point in, in your life and in my life, we, we trust in Christ for salvation, right? We, we do that, right? And we are justified as we talked about. Now, here's where a lot of Christians get confused, 
Okay? Because they think that what happens is that salvation, you know, I, I, I just kind of fumble along, fumble along, fumble along, and I, I'm not really looking more like Jesus, but I'm saved. And then there's some event. Some big event. There's something beyond the gospel, right? There's something that I, I have to, I have to have a miraculous thing or a dedication or a, and different movements call it different things. But there's some event that happens and after that event, then I start to grow. Okay? I can't find that anywhere in the Bible. As you've been hearing, uh, as Terry has unfolded 1 John for us, normal Christianity is a Christian I'm going home. No, um, I won't tell Terry if you don't. Okay? Well, let's get this right here. A normal Christian does what? He's the same as he always been. She's the same as she always was, right? No. A normal Christian grows. A normal Christian has fruit. What were they? Remember the outline from last week? A normal Christian obeys. Number one. Mark of Christian. They obey. They imitate Christ. That was point number two. And point number three, he loves. He or she loves like Christ. You guys need to brush up on your sermon notes. I mean, do you not do that? Brush up on your sermon notes. Come on. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Okay? So a normal Christian grow. There's not some post-salvation event. No. That, that's not. That John says, if anyone says, I have come to know him and hates his brother, he's, oh, he needs an extra event in his life. He's really saved, but no, no, no. If anyone says he's come to know him and he hates his brother, he is a liar. Right? There has to be obedience. There has to be fruit. Not a lot of fruit, but some fruit. Okay? So, so and that, that, that's not it. Okay? That's not it. Okay? So what is true at salvation? Here's what's true at salvation. In my, and I'm going to use two colors, I'm going to use two colors to make the point here. We'll use red and blue, okay? At the moment of salvation, a Christian in their, now now you need to write this down, okay? In their position before God, in their position, they are exactly like Jesus, They are justified. We just read that, right? They're justified. They are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. The the, the work is done. They they have perfect righteousness because that's how we get into heaven, right? We get into heaven on the basis of not some righteousness, but perfect righteousness. So at the moment of salvation, there is that great exchange. And in our position, we are just like Jesus. That's why he treats us like sons. That's why we're adopted in the family. But then, so if the blue line represents our position, the red is going to represent our practice, okay? Our actual living experience. Here's what we should see. Bad day. Good day. Trial. Good day. Struggle. Growing in Christ. Okay? It's, It's progressive. And as time goes on in our... Um, our practice, not our position now, S-E or C-E? I failed spelling, thank you. All right. Um, in our practice, we grow. Okay. In our practice, we're not what? 
We're not perfect. Uh-uh. Not perfect. But in our, our practice is, our position's perfect, right? Position's perfect before God. But our practice is progressive. Now, at some point, what's going to happen? What, at some point along the way, what's going to happen? We're going to die. So let's just call this death. And what happens at that point? Our practice is brought perfectly in line with our position. Does that make sense? You got it? Okay. Questions on that? So if you're here, you shouldn't be discouraged. This is normal Christianity. Do Do we all have these types of days? Do we all have these types of weeks? Sure we do. Do we have these types of days? Yeah, we sure do. It's progressive, right? We also should not think, this is important, that our acceptance by God is based on this. It's not. Our acceptance of God, or I'm sorry, turn around. God's acceptance of us is based on what? His righteousness. His righteousness, right? Okay. This is just the working out of that salvation. It's a bumpy ride. Keep your seatbelts on. It's a bumpy ride. But our God's acceptance of us is based on Christ's finished work. This daily practice, think of this as God preparing us for heaven. That's what it is. It's God preparing us for heaven. And along the way, we want to bring some other people with us to heaven by spending the, sharing the gospel with them. But, but the reason I do this is, one, I find that, that Christians are all over the map when it comes to understanding this. They confuse position with practice. Or maybe they're struggling with sin, and, and they're, waiting, they're waiting for the magic bullet. They're, they're waiting for some event, some experience, some something to fall out of heaven and take away the temptation, take away the impulse to sin. Just, they have this idea that, that a, a mature Christian just doesn't struggle anymore. Paul's going to say in chapter 3, you know what? I haven't obtained it. I haven't become perfect, but I press on. Because at this side of heaven, it's a daily battle. And what we're going to see uh, in the text as it as unfolds for us here is that sanctification or the Christian life or growing more like Jesus is hard work. One of the... Can I just kind of bleed on you as a pastor for a minute? Can I kind of do that? Um, I see people almost every week that are discouraged and struggling. You know why? Because they have the expectation that they should be growing, but they don't do anything to work at it. Somewhere along the way, they picked up the idea that when I trust Christ... I'm just, you know, he just is supposed to remove every temptation and desire and the victorious Christian life or whatever you want to call it. There should be no struggle. And if anything, when you become a Christian, in a sense, it makes some things harder, doesn't it? Because now you, you have the spirit in you that says, no, I can't do that anymore. I can't keep going down that road. You feel bad. You feel guilty. And you should. But somewhere along the way, people get very discouraged. I'm not growing. I'm not changing. I'm not this. I'm not that. Well, what are you doing? Um, uh, well, I go to church. 
Sometimes. Okay, well, that's good. What else are you doing? Um, uh, I pray. Well, that's good, too. What are you doing? And it's like going to church and praying occasionally is the o- that's the only tools they have in their sanctification toolbox. And they're praying a little bit, usually not consistency. They're, they're praying a little bit, then we go to church. And, and then, but, but they're not growing, and, and they're just frustrated. It's because they don't understand this. It's something that we work out. We work out our salvation, as the Scripture tells us. And then you know what they do? They confuse the whole position and practice thing because they think that how they're doing here is, is the basis for which God lets them into heaven or not. And, and, and can we just agree... Um, if God had to base his decision whether or not we went into heaven on this line, any of you you feel good about that? (laughs) Okay, right? And we understand that the verse I'm about to quote is is talking about unbelievers, but, but in a sense it can be true of experiential sin in the life of a believer. Lord... If you marked our transgressions, who would stand? Right. So praise God that even when we're doing well, see, here's what we do. we're doing well, right? I'm, you know, getting getting over sin in my life. You know, we're like, uh, let's say we're here. There's a little peak right there. There's a little, right there. See how far short we still fall, right? So even on good days, we're glad that God doesn't use that as the basis. Now Jesus paid it all as the hymn says. Um, Okay? Now, the nature of sanctification is it is a progressive work. It is a progressive work, and we don't want to confuse our position with our practice. We also don't want to be waiting around for some sort of event that catapults us into being a super-Christian. Okay? It's a work. It's It's a daily working out of our salvation, as the Scripture says here. Now, His position in Christ. What is the basis of a believer's sanctification? What is the basis of a believer's sanctification? It is his position in Christ. In other words, without the work of Jesus, we couldn't grow at all. Without the work of Jesus, we could not grow at all. Um, turn back to Romans chapter 6. I'm just going to whet your appetite here, but um, we cannot do Romans 6 in like three minutes. So let me just give you a little taste of this, and then we'll come back next week. Look at Romans chapter 6 with me. Um, In in fact, you you may want to write this down or just make a mental note of it. Romans 6 is going to answer this very important question. Okay, What is the relationship between my justification and my sanctification? That's the big idea of Romans 6. How is my justification that God has, I've trusted Christ and God has declared me not guilty, how is my justification connected to my sanctification, my growth? Okay. Let's just read the first couple of verses and we'll look at this together. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, 
We have been buried with him through baptism in the death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, now here's the part you need to really uh, uh, pay attention to. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Let, let me give you my 30-second, one-minute overview of what we just read, and we'll come back next week and we'll, we'll do it some justice, okay? When you trusted Christ, when I trusted Christ, what happened? In some way that, that we can't see, but what, this is biblically true, when we trusted Christ, that person experiences Christ's death and burial and resurrection. It's what it says there. He is united with Christ in his death and burial and resurrection. You say, that's kind of weird. Okay, just stay with me, okay? So that our old self, and by that the scriptures mean who we were in our sin, in our depravity, in our wickedness. That old self, you ready? It dies. It dies with Christ. Dead. The old man is dead. The King James, the old man, right? Okay, is dead. And then, just as Jesus died and was buried, he was raised. So our old self, our old sinful self, dies with Christ. And then we are raised with Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, with a new heart and a new disposition for righteousness. Whereas once we were spiritually dead, now we are spiritually alive. We are raised to walk with Christ. And the most wonderful part of that, the last verse there, is that we are no longer a slave to sin. That's what the word redemption means. We're, we're bought out out of sin. That The bonds, the chains of sin are broken. Not that we don't still struggle with sin, but that we don't have to sin anymore. We're no longer a slave to sin. And actually, you say, I read baptism in there. What's bat-? He's not talking about water baptism. He's talking about the reality that baptism represents. When we take somebody, we dunk them under the water, we pick them up, that's a picture of what? Dying... Being under the water, that's buried. Coming up out of the water, raised to walk a newness of life. It's a, it's a picture. Water baptism is a picture of the spiritual reality that a believer has died, has been, ra- has been buried, and is raised to walk with newness of Christ so that he is no longer a slave to sin. Now, here's, here's the one thing I want you to hang on with, and then we'll put a comma in your notes, okay? Without that identification with Christ, without that position in Christ where we are united with him in his death, his burial, and resurrection so that we're no longer slaves to sin, without that identification, there's no hope for growing because we would still be slaves, right? But that position in Christ, that identification with him, is the basis now for actually growing to be more like Christ, to grow in holiness in our actual practice. And as they say, more news at 10. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these chapters, these verses that unfold for us, the riches of salvation in all of its aspects, in all of its dimensions. Uh, Father, thank you that we stand justified before you today. 
And that that justification, that position in Christ becomes the basis for us living out, working out our salvation by growing in holiness and Christ-likeness each day. Father, we love you and we are grateful. Uh, we didn't read this verse today, but we, we are thankful for the verse we read uh, a couple of months ago in Philippians chapter 1, that you are faithful to complete the work that you've started in us. Lord, as we go away today, might we be thankful to you for this work that you're doing in and through us. And we're grateful mostly for the work of Christ on our behalf, we pray in his name. Amen.